Welcome to the weekly message from Encounter, where the past has no future and hope is reborn. Our speaker today is Bishop Michael Rice, lead pastor at Encounter. As long as I got a voice today, uh, I'm going to try to share with you what I believe that God has put on my heart. By asking a simple question. What do you have in the house? What do you have in the house? Second Kings chapter 4. There's a lot going on in the world today, isn't, it? isn't there, folks? may find this hard to believe, but we will look back at these days and see them as the peaceful days. Hear what I'm saying? And like never before, I think we need to hear what the scripture is telling us this morning. What have you got in the house? 2 Kings chapter 4 verse 1. Now there cried a certain woman of the wives of the sons of the prophets, unto Elisha, saying, Thy servant, my husband, is dead. And thou knowest that thy servant did fear the Lord. And the creditor is come to take unto him my two sons to be bondmen. And Elisha said unto her, What shall I do for thee? Tell me, what hast thou in the house? And she said, Thine handmaid hath not anything in the house save a pot of oil. Then he said, Go, borrow thee vessels abroad of all thy neighbors, even empty vessels. Borrow not a few. Second Kings chapter 8, I'm sorry, chapter 4, verse 8. Story of a second woman. And it fell on a day that Elisha passed to Shunem, where was a great woman, and she constrained him to eat bread. And so it was that as oft as he passed by, he turned in thither to eat bread. And she said unto her husband, Behold now, I perceive that this is an holy man of God, which passes by us continually. Let us make a little chamber, I pray thee, on the wall, and let us set up for him there a bed and a table and a stool and a candlestick. And it shall be when he cometh to us that he shall turn thither. And it fell on the day that he came thither, and he turned into the chamber and lay there. And he said to Gehazi, his servant, Call this Shunammite woman. Call this Shunammite. And when he called her, she stood before him. Would you stretch your hands this way and pray with me and for me this morning? Father, I, I, I believe with all of my heart that you have burdened me with this because this is on your heart to share. Holy Spirit, I, I know that nothing of a value can be accomplished outside of you. So I just, I just acknowledge that. I release you to do what you do so well. Take this message and make it personal to each of us. Allow our ears to hear. Make our ears to hear what you want them to hear. I know that your words are spirit and they are life. 
and they will not return void. So I, I claim that promise today. I pray that the heart of every hearer be captured by you. In the name of Jesus, amen. Thank you, Holy Spirit. This lady in the first story found herself in a desperate situation. Her husband, who was, uh, a no, was known to Elijah, was a, a son of the prophets. He was a man that, that knew God. He served God. And we know that at some time prior to this meeting, he's passed away. And now she's been running the home. We don't know how long. But we know now that she's in a bad spot. We know that the bills have piled up and there's no way to get them paid. And in those days, unlike here in America, you could go to prison for not being able to pay your bills. That's a bad day, huh? Uh, And in addition to that, what, what they often would do was take your children into slavery until the debt was paid. Your children would become bondmen, and so the, the, the individual that you owned the debt to would come and take your children and, and make them work for you until the debt is paid. She's facing a bad time. And she, she sees an opportunity when Elisha comes by, and she calls on him. And she pleads with him. Notice she's pleading about things that have happened in the past. She's pleading about how good her husband was and, and how that he served God. And, and be, because of that, then the, this prophet should do a miracle for her. And, and there's a lot of ways of looking at the story, but one of the ways that you can look at it this morning is Elijah brings to her attention where the real problem lies. And the problem doesn't lie with the fact that her husband is now dead, and the problem doesn't even lie with Elijah and this momentary encounter she's having with him. The problem in her life lies with what she has in her own house. Can you see that? He said, what do you, what do you want me to do for you? Let me paraphrase. What do you want me to do for you? The problem is, what do you have in your house? Can I tell you that that the situations we face in life, the resources we need to solve those, we probably already have. And we get into trouble when we think that the, the solution to my problem is somebody else. We, we get into trouble when we think that this momentary encounter is, is supposed to fix the difficulty. And he's asking her a question. What, what do you have in the house? I want to tell you from personal experience that as a believer, I've gotten myself in trouble more than a few times in life. There are times when I've hit a brick wall. There's times when the collectors are on my telephone. There's times when... It's not going well. I, I, I live several months homeless as a believer. It doesn't get any lower than that. I never thought I would get to the point where I would go to McDonald's to watch somebody eat and, 
and ask them for their food that they're about to throw away because they're done eating. Cold fries are better than no fries. It doesn't seem like it gets much worse than that. My wife and I get married and we're struggling financially and we can't make car payment. And, and I'm preaching and we, we go to a place to preach on a Sunday night and, and I had been in contact with our bank every week. I let them know the struggle that we're having and you know, we, we were within months of getting this car paid off. And I kept, I kept in contact with them. I said, listen, I've got the car up for sale. As soon as I sell it, I'm going to pay you guys everything I've got. I owe you. And we got to be two months behind in the payment. I got a for sale sign in the window of the car. And I, I go to a church on a Sunday night to preach. And as is my habit, I got there early. And somebody came up to me and said, hey, a, a preacher, there's a, that's your car with the for sale sign, isn't it? And I said, yeah. He said, there's a fellow here who wants to talk to you. And I said, man, I, I got church in 15 minutes. He said, he, I went back and talked to him. He said, do you got that car for sale? I said, yeah. He said, what are you asking for? I said, I'll be honest with you. It's, it's worth $3,900. I said, but I owe $1,100 on the thing. And so the first $1,100 gets it because I'm going to take all the money and give it to the bank so that I can satisfy my obligation. The guy says, can we take a drive in it? I said, but I... I got service in 15 minutes. He said, five minutes is all I need. That's all I need, five minutes. I said, all right, let's quick go do this. We, we drive about a mile from the church, pulled into a Carter Lumber parking lot. And the guy reaches into his pocket and pulls out papers. He said, I'm repossessing the car. I said, you got to be kidding me. He said, man, you made me feel bad. He said, you... You were willing, this car's worth $4,000. He says, you were willing to sell it to me for 1100 bucks just so you could pay the bank. I said, oh, man. I said, I can't believe you guys did this to me. I'm, I'm on the phone with you every week. I haven't hid from you. I haven't lied to you. I haven't mis misled you. He said, buddy, I'm just doing my job. And I said, I understand. So take me back to the church. He said, no, you got to go to the car now. I said, what do you mean? At this time, a police sheriff pulls up, and he says, I've served your papers now. You've got you to exit the vehicle. He said, the deputy will drive you back to where I picked you up from. Well, this is a great thing to do just before church. And I get out of the car, and I start walking to the deputy's car, and he steps out, and he said, I just got a call. I got to leave. He gets his car, and he drives off, and this guy drives off with my car, and I'm a mile from the church in the summertime with a suit on. I walked to church. I, I, as I walked up the road, I could hear the music playing. They were well into worship. I got up in the pulpit. Unfortunately, God had not changed my message. My text was, my God shall supply all of your need according to his riches and glory. Honest to God. And I got to preach the whole time looking at my wife and, because when we're done, we don't have a ride home. You can get yourself in a mess as a believer. Come on now. Now, maybe none of you all have experienced that. Maybe you're, you've just been from mountaintop to mountaintop to mountaintop, but, but you, you want to know why I got in that mess? I got in that mess because of problems in my own life. 
I didn't trust God. I wasn't paying my tithes. I couldn't afford to pay my tithes. I'm, I'm broke. That was my thinking. My car got took back. I found out that, that his word is true. He will supply all of my needs according to his riches and glory if I trust him. Amen? And so the prophet is asking this woman, well, what have you got in the house? And she said, I, you know, I don't have much. He said, well, go get something. Go to your neighbors. Now listen, there's a truth here. The, the house that he's talking about in the Old Testament is this house here. Anybody in here want more of God? Can I tell you that God doesn't give out to you and I just to make us spiritually fat? If he can get it through you, he can get it to you. And so the answer to her problem, now, now she's, she's facing a collection because she's borrowed money she can't pay back. And the prophet is telling her to go borrow more money. That, that's kind of like the, 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 one, the one prophet is sitting under a tree and God said, I've, 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 I've raised up a widow woman to take care of you. And so he jumps up. Okay, they're turning my life. God, God's got some... Some rich old girl that's going to just take care of me. I'm going to go in town and find her. And so he gets up and he, he walks into town and he's looking for the, the rich widow woman that God has raised up. Of course, God never said rich. He just said widow woman. And he, he looks around for a widow woman and, and all of a sudden the Holy Spirit said, there she is. He goes up to her and he says, give me something to eat. And I'm paraphrasing, but she said, man of God, I'm trying to find a couple of sticks to start a fire to bake the last little bit of a biscuit we've got, and me and my son are going to eat that and die. Now, if that had been me, I'd have said, sorry, wrong widow woman. I'm moving on. And, and look what he does. He says, that's a good plan. But feed me first. Why? Her problem, the solution to her problem was not going to be found somewhere else. It's going to be found in her own house. Come on now. We're living in a time, folks, where we need to be reminded that we need to work out our own salvation with fear and trembling before the Lord. I remember a number of years ago, I had a vision where, where I was standing on the edge of a hill and there was a, a, a sloping valley that laid out before me. And it seemed like the, 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 the ground went all the way to the horizon. <coughs> and I could see little houses and, and pockets of trees and I could see people going about their day. And then all of a sudden, a storm came rolling in. And it was just devastating things. 
And I had this urgency in my heart to tell somebody, that, to warn these people. And, and I remember saying in the dream, God, I've got to go tell people. And he said, they see the same storm you see. But they're doing nothing about it. There's a storm coming, folks. And so I'm asking you, what have you got in your house? When you stand before God, you will not stand before God with your pastor or with your Bible teacher or your Sunday school teacher or your husband or your wife or your mom or your dad or your children or your friend or your neighbor. You will stand to God alone. And he wants to know, what have you got in your house? What are you putting into this house on a daily basis? What are you watching? What are you listening to? What are you thinking about? Because what you watch affects your thinking. What you listen to affects your thinking. And what you're thinking as a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. When a heart gets full of a thought, it bubbles up out of the, out of the mouth. And your, your words are the fruit of your life. They're the bread you'll be eating. And if you don't like what you're eating in life, then change your words. And to change your words, change your heart. To change your heart, change your thinking. Whatsoever things are pure and lovely and of a good report, think on those things. We're living in a time when you, you got to just cast some things off, folks. I'm finding myself that more than any of my 30-plus years of serving God, I just got to take certain thoughts and cast them off. I just got to lay them down. I got to cast away an imagination. And that thought that's trying to bring me captive, I've got to take it captive. That's not who I am. That's not what I'm going to do. And so the prophet asks her a question. What do you got in the house? Let me ask you, what do you got in your house? Well, what's in here? What? The enemy, he will, if you let him, he will get you so focused on your husband or your wife, your job, your money, things, politics, patriotism and those things in and of themselves are not bad but if they capture your heart come on so what have you got in your house the answer to your problem is what do you have in your house our second lady The same prophet is not walking into a city called Shunem, and he sees a woman, and her, her status in life is different than the prior woman. The, the first woman that we see, she's broke, and her sons are about to be put into bondage because of her mess. Do you know your struggle affects more than just you? Come on. 
Amen? If you're married, it affects your spouse. If you're part of a body, it affects the body. It affects your workplace. My wife and I, for a season, we attended a Wesleyan church. It's kind of, it's not Pentecostal, but it's not Baptist. It's kind of somewhere in between. They kind of believe in the Holy Spirit, but don't talk about it. And we gathered, they had decided to take their old building and, and do some reconstruction work on the inside of it and in the auditorium. And I, I gathered with the guys and the pastor and, and the, the, the other fellows, and we started working on it. And, man, we had like, it, within, within an hour, we had, we had three things happen that literally almost seriously hurt somebody. Finally, I, I just stopped. I, I, I pulled up a chair and I went over the corner on the platform and I just sat down. I didn't say nothing to nobody. Finally, said somebody said, Mike, what's up? I said, I ain't working with y'all. I said, why not? I said, you know, we, we, we never asked God to bless our efforts. We didn't, we didn't pray over this. Three guys in the last hour have come this stinking close to getting seriously hurt. We're, we're just bulldozing ahead without even confronting God and engaging God in this whole process. I, I said, y'all are braver than I am. I want to have some time of prayer first before I forget 40 feet up in the air on a scaffolding. I want to pray about this. Before you hand some guy a chainsaw, he says, oh, I always wanted to work with one of these. No, no. Pray first. So we prayed, and it, you, you, it, the, the, it, it flipped. No more problems. No more bickering. No more tension. No more accidents. It, it changes things. If you're here this morning and you don't think prayer changes things, you need to be hearing what I'm saying this morning. The Bible says, Trust in the Lord with all thine heart. Lean not to thine own understanding. In all of thy ways acknowledge him. So this second lady, she, she wasn't poor and broke like the first lady. She, she's the opposite end. She's rich. She's well-to-do. She's a woman of influence. Her husband is alive. Bible calls her a great woman. And, and she noticed one day that Elijah was passing by. And even though she, she had means and she, she had... Uh, a nice house to live in, and she had a husband there. She didn't have any children. And she sees Elisha going by, and, and there was something in her that wanted more. Anybody in here want more? I don't know about you, but I want more. Yesterday, I... We were out in, in, in a strange city, and I went through a McDonald's to get something to drink, and the guy who took my money, the kid, I, I don't know, he's maybe 20 years old, he, my heart broke for him. He was just so sad. and He had a, a, a tattoo right here on the side of his head, and it said, sad boy. He had a crying face. 
And I thought, God, I'm burdened to pray for him. And I pulled to the window to get my, my, my drink, and the girl that hands out my drink, it looked like a jewelry box exploded on her face. There was stuff in this earlobe and stuff in the middle and stuff in this earlobe, and there was stuff over here. There, she had, she had a look like a barbell right here. I'm not being critical. But listen to me. Listen to me for a moment. That's a sign that something's wrong in here. You don't, you don't like yourself. Come on. It's not judgmental. And, and something's hurting. And she was so sad. And she just stuck the thing out. And, and I drove away and I was heartbroken. This generation is in trouble. And, 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 and there's more. And, and listen, they won't be fooled with the nonsense that most people in church are, are satisfied with. We're living in a day like never before that there needs to be a demonstration of the power of God in our lives. And this woman wanted more. She said, I, I want more than what I've got. I've, I've got a house and I've got a a husband who loves me and I'm provided for, but, but I want more than what I've got. And, and so she started to feed them. And, hey, you want something to eat? Come, come on, we'll give you something to eat. I want more. Just like the first woman, she invited Elijah into her life. But the first woman was told that the problem is in your house. The second woman knows the problem is in her house. Because after a few visits, one evening while the old man is sitting still, she goes to him and she said, Honey, that's, you know the prophet that's been coming by? I think he's a man of God. And I, I, want, I want to build him a place. Do you mind if we just... You know, give him a bed and a, and a chair and a, and, and, and a table and a candlestick so that whenever he comes by, he, he stays here. You know what she's saying? I'm tired of visitation. I want habitation. And we're living in a time in the church where we need to get out of this idea of a visitation of the Holy Spirit. If I get on Facebook one more time and see some pastor say, we had a visitation of God this morning. Visitation? Like you're in prison and he came by? Visitation stopped 2,000 years ago. It's no longer visitation. It's habitation. He doesn't come and go. He doesn't meet with us in a certain place. On the day of Pentecost, when the Spirit of God came, the group didn't get one big flame. They got individual flames. Why? Because they were going to leave there. And they needed to take the fire with them. We need to get this understanding in the body of Christ. It is not a visitation of God we need. It's a habitation of God. You need to walk with this understanding. He's with me. He's inside of me. Everywhere I go, God is with me. 
and that changes everything. Because then when you walk into a situation, you are bringing the kingdom of God and its power with you. And upon this, Jesus said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against them. You need to walk in this reality that the habitation of God, I am the dwelling place of the Holy Spirit. Paul was shocked just a few years later when he said to the Corinthian church, what? Don't you know you're the temple of the Holy Spirit? Don't you realize... And we still don't know that in a lot of places 2,000 years later. We think the only time somebody can get healed is in an altar service while some church leader or anointed man or woman of God is praying for them. This is a habitation. Everywhere we go, we take the presence of God with us. Everywhere we go, we are tearing down kingdoms. You need to know that. You need to know that your very next breath may destroy everything the devil is doing in somebody's life because it could be a prayer that you pray over them. It could be a word. A word birthed in the heart of God spoken out of your mouth is the same as a word birthed in the heart of God spoken out of his mouth. It's not the mouth, it's the word. He can use a donkey. And we need to get out of this visitation idea that God visits us on Sunday morning. I understand there's a unique encounter with God when you gather as a body. That's the way it's supposed to be. But it's supposed to be a habitation. You don't come here to get flame. You come here bringing your flame. And you add your flame to her flame, and she adds hers to his, and it grows brighter when we're together. So what does that look like? In all our ways, acknowledge him. You know what that means? All. Not some. Some people say, I don't know if I want to give my 10% to God. I want to tell you that God's concerned about how you spend 100% of it. And if you tithe 10% and then you take the 90% you have left and you use it any old way you want, then you're wasting your 10%. He cares about it all. He literally cares about it all. Acknowledge him in all my ways. What does that look like? Anybody else in here wake up grumpy in the morning? Anybody seated next to somebody who wakes up grumpy? There was more hands on the second question than there was the first. I cast out that lying spirit. <clears throat> what does it look like? I wake up grumpy. <clears throat> I'm not a morning person. Just give me some space, give me a little bit of time, okay? I'm not mean, I just don't want to talk. All right? If we talk, it might get ugly. Just give me some time. But you know what it looks like? It, it looks like you, you roll out of bed and your feet hit the floor and you say, 
this is the day the Lord's made. This is a, a handmade gift from God. Listen to me for a moment. There were people that died last night. And you and I weren't one of them. He, he, he gifted me this day. I get irritated when I work hard at gifting somebody something and they don't even acknowledge it. I think it bothers God too. And so your feet hit the floor and you can be in a grumpy mood. I know you haven't had your coffee. But you can say, God, this is the day you've given me. I want to honor you today. There's a fellow by the name of J.C. Penney. I know they don't have very many J.C. Penney stores around. But there was one time where everywhere you went, there was a J.C. Penney store. J.C. Penney stores used to be closed on Sunday. They were open. The whole company was started by a man who was a believer. And, and he went to church on Sunday. He taught a Sunday school class. And J.C. Penney said this. If you've got too much business to do business with God, you've got too much business. If you think you are so stinking important and busy, you don't have a few moments to acknowledge God, I want to tell you the problem is you're God and he isn't. So your feet hit the floor and you said, God, this is a gift you gave me today. I want to bless you in everything I do today, God. Help me to not forget this is a day from you. Just take a few moments, church. Come on now. Thank God for the day. God, I fully acknowledge this may be my last day on earth. But you gave it to me. And then you get up and you go to the bathroom and you, you begin to get cleaned up. And you shave. And as you're in the mirror, I say, God is... As I go through my day, let, let them not see me. Let them see you, God. And you know what I've had God do to me at times like that? All of a sudden, he'll bring somebody to my mind. You want to know why he does that? Because he wants you to join with him in prayer about that person. And so I say, God, I don't know why Carol's in my bathroom, but what 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 Whatever, whatever need she has, God, I'll lift her to you. Whatever your heart's desire is for Carol, God, I come in agreement with you for her. I, I come against, in the name of Jesus, everything that's coming against her. And I know that greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. Whatever battle she faces, whatever need she need, has, God, I know that you're able to supply that need according to your riches and glory. And I, all of a sudden, I don't feel like I need to pray for Carol anymore. going to shave it. And I go press the machine to make my coffee. And you got a few moments of standing there, and if you can stand there and get mad about it takes 60 seconds to make your cup of coffee. Or you can say, God, I, give me words for somebody today. Give me bread. Give me today my daily bread. It isn't praying for your your physical needs folks I've shared that with you before 
That isn't a line in Scripture to tell you to pray for your needs. He told us not to pray for those. Come on. He said, the birds, they don't worry. They don't fret, and I take care of them. How much more would I take care of you? Praying for bread for somebody. Jesus talked about bread as being words that he cast upon the water. God, if I'm not careful, I'm going to go busy through my day. And I'm going to miss somebody that you want me to pray for. I'm going to miss somebody you want me to be kind to. I'm going to miss something, God. And so help me to slow down today. Oh, look, my coffee's done. This is habitation. I sit down with my iPad and I begin to look at the news. There's times God has put on my heart things to pray about in the news. You, you, sound, you find that strange? Here's what God said. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, I will forgive their sin and heal their land. That's what he said. Listen to me for a moment. I'm not casting dispersions on anybody. But this world isn't a mess because sinners are doing what sinners do. This world isn't a mess because the church isn't doing what the church ought to be doing. Because if my people... And you get in your vehicle. And you... Some people just launch out into the day. I know, I know what that's like. We used to do that. And God sent a, a man by the name of Dr. P.A.V. Samuels, a friend of mine who, who ministers in, in Kerala State, India. Rough place. Very rough place. And he came over to preach a revival for us. And he's a hoot. He's a hoot. He doesn't mean to be a hoot, but he is. I took him to Denny's Deed because that was the only place open late at night when he came in. And we got done eating at Denny's. It's like 2 o'clock in the morning. And we get up from our table, and I'm heading for the door where the cash register is so I can pay. And we get up, and he's, he's dressed in Indian garb, you know, that whole white thing that they always wear. And he's dark-skinned. He looks like he's from India. And I'm heading for the cash register, and out of the corner of my eye, I see him going this way. Where is he going? I get the cash register turn, and you know how Denny's is. They got the window where the, the cooks, you know, pass the food across. And, and there's the typical middle-of-the-night, 24-hour restaurant cook back there. You know, the guy's greasy. He's got the dumb little paper hat on. Doesn't want to be there. How many know what I'm talking about? And, and Brother Samuels goes behind the counter to that window. I'm thinking, what is, what's he doing? And he walks over to the window, and he, he gets about this far away from the fella, and the cook is looking at him, and Brother Samuel just belches real loud and then grins and waves. <laughs> and then he walks from behind the counter, and he comes up to me. He said, why were you so rude to the cook? I said, me? You're the one that just belched in his face. He said, in India, that's how we thank the cook for his work. We let him know, 
And I looked over in the quick stand, they're like, I said, I don't think he understands. I, I, don't, I don't think it's registered with him. I'm sure that guy still tells that story. And one day we were rushing out for church, and Brother Samuels doesn't get in a hurry to go anywhere. And if we're late, by my standard, we're late. And finally, he's he's ready. He starts out the door, and I'm behind him, and I'm you know I'm hurrying because that's what you got to do. You got to hurry. And my wife is behind me, and our oldest son Gabriel's behind her, and. Brother Samuels steps out on the front porch and he stops at the step. He's about to pray. I didn't expect that. I couldn't stop in time. And so I bump into him now. At this point, he's already praying. I bump into him and he goes like this. And then my wife bumps into me and then I bump into him again. And he goes like this more and then Gabriel bumps into her and she bumps into me and I bump into him again and knock him off the front steps. And I see him go stumbling down the steps and he goes... What is your hurry? I said, what are you doing? And he said, were you just going to just head out without praying? Go ahead, (laughs) pray. But I learned that that's, that's part of acknowledging God, David. You know what I'm talking about. I'm not afraid. I trust him more than I trust me. And so I I, I get in my truck and I start it. And I I say, God, I, I know that my footsteps have already been ordered by you. But if I'm not careful today, I'll just blow past everything you want to do and do what I want to do. Help me not to do that, Father. Help me not to do that. There's times, Stacy, I've, I've, I've had that prayer and the Holy Spirit said, you didn't hug your wife. off and go back in the house. You want to know what's in your house? Listen to me. The Bible has instructions for how we ought to treat each other as husband and wife. Whether we like it or not, it's what it says. The Bible says, husbands, love your wife as Christ loved the church. You've got to be kidding me. That's what it says. Amen? There's another verse that tells me that if I don't treat my wife right, my, my, my prayers will be hindered. Hello? What's in your house? We, we can't treat our spouses like dirt and expect God to honor us. Come on. They get quiet. That same verse in that same area of verses that says, wives, submit yourself to your husband. Are you constantly arguing with him? 
constantly fussing, making his life difficult. And then you wonder why you struggle financially, and you wonder why, come on, people. God didn't give you your spouse to make you happy. He gave you your spouse to make you holy. He did. He gave you your spouse to make you holy. Well, of course there's a lot of happiness and joy in it. I, I, I like milkshakes because they taste good. They also kind of make me fat. There's an there's a unintended consequence here. You can be happy in your marriage, but that, that wasn't the goal. The goal that God put in your, the reason he put the two of you together is so that you could irritate each other into holiness. Come on. Irritate you into holiness. My, my husband, my wife rubs me the wrong way. That's good. What's in your house? This lady said, I'm sick and tired of visitation. I'm tired of visitation. Listen, I'm trying to close. Listen, I'm tired of visitation from God. Anybody else? Tired of this whole Old Testament mentality of visitation, where the Spirit of God would descend upon a person for a purpose and then be extracted back again, and when the purpose is fulfilled, that pastor friend says, boy, the anointing was on me today. And where was it before it was on you? I don't have many friends in the ministry because I don't understand that wording. I know, I know people in the ministry who treat their wives like dogs. I'm not sure they're anointed. I think they're gifted, but not anointed. Come on. And she said, I don't want visitation anymore. I want habitation. And the things that she describes to put in the room are very telling. I want a bed. Listen, are you here tonight, are you here this morning, and, and you struggle at night with things going on in your mind? Somebody in here dealing with terrifying nightmares. I want to tell you something. You need to pray over, pray over your, yourself before you go to sleep. But you also need to ask a question. What's in the house? Listen, you can't sit down and watch Halloween 4 and go to bed and expect anything else. You can't engage in the games of the enemy and expect God to just bless your sleep. If this is old school, let it be old school. It's truth. Whatsoever things are lovely and pure, think on those things. Chainsaw Massacre probably doesn't fit. I'm just guessing. I'm out on a limb here. I'm just guessing. What you said to your wife matters to God. Folks, if this thing doesn't work in our own marriages and in our own homes, in our own jobs, in our own lives, it's fake. Come on. Bed. A, a, a table. Where you sleep, where you eat. Do you really wolf down your food and not thank God for it? Seriously? 
Come on now. First, you ought to do that. You ought to thank him. Why? Some would say, I worked for it. I earned the money. I bought the food. And you did it all with his body and his gifting and your, his intelligence that he gave you. And if you want to w- spend every waking moment worried about how you're going to pay the next bill, I guess have at it. Or you can trust God that the meals are going to be there because they're coming from him. And you're acknowledging that. But even more than that, you're, you're making a statement. I bobbed my head in a restaurant one time. I was at a table by myself, and, and I prayed. And I, I try not to let it just become formality. You know, you got to wrestle against that sometimes. And I, I felt the need to pray just a little bit more that time. And I bobbed my head, and I, I really felt it. And I thank God for that. And I, I thanked him and told him I appreciate it. And I, I got done praying, and I started eating my food. And a few moments later, a, a lady tapped me on the shoulder. And she had tears in her eyes. She said, I saw you pray over your food. And I realized how unthankful I'd become in my life. She said, and honestly, I've been away from God for years. But as you prayed, I prayed too. When you pray, folks, it changes things. If you don't understand that, try it until you find that out. A, a stool. This is a stool you sit in some, you know, you invite people you care about to your table. That's what the table meant. And, 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 and the bed meant habitation. This is a place where he resides. This is, should be a place where he resides, amen? And he's close. He's, he's somebody you eat a meal with. What did, they, what did they say of Jesus? They understood that you only, you only ate with those people you're close to. He said he eats with wine bibbers and sinners. They understood there's a closeness between you and those you eat with. And, and she said, I want him to have a table. I want him to have a, a stool. You sit down. I want them to have a light. Could you stand to your feet this morning? That's Bishop Michael Rice, lead pastor of Encounter. More messages from Pastor Rice are available at our website, godenc.com. You can subscribe to our regular podcast through our website or on iTunes. Find us on Facebook under Encounter.